This is Mainspring Family Wellness, where transformation takes root. This podcast is for parents pursuing both personal growth and family wellness. We will cover relevant topics that help us reflect, make educated choices, and parent effectively. My name is Kristen Perlmutter. I'm an educator, a philanthropist, and a mother of three who is passionate about personal growth and seeing families at their optimal wellness. And I'm Dr. Jenna Flowers, a marriage and family therapist, author of The Conscious Parent's Guide to Co-Parenting, speaker, and mother of three. Welcome to Mainspring Family Wellness. We are so excited to have Audrey Monkey and Sarah Coolius here with us today, and they truly are a dynamic duo, both camp directors of um, very popular children's summer camps, and Audrey has written a very popular parenting book. And I think they both have such wonderful bios. I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves. Um, hello, I'm Audrey Monkey, and as Kristen said, I'm a summer camp director. Um, I've been doing that for almost 35 years, and um, I'm a mother of five, which is pretty much my most important job, <laughs> and my kids currently range in age from 16 to almost 26, and this um, the book has been just kind of a labor of love based on all my experience and the, the research that I've done in positive psychology and well-being. And it's just been so much fun to kind of synthesize everything I've learned from parenting my own kids and at camp and my research in psychology and just kind of put it together in what I hope is an encouraging book that helps parents just see that they can do very simple things to increase connection and just fun and really a lot of the things that we do at camp. So that's a little about me. Great. We're so happy to have you. And I'm Sarah Coolius. Um, and like Audrey, I'm a camp director. Uh, my husband, Steve, and I have been um, in the camp biz for about 23 years. In addition, I'm a Gallup Strengths coach and um, really enjoy guiding families and individuals in finding their uh, best contribution to their communities. And um, it's fun. Audrey's husband is also named Steve, and so we have appreciated <laughs> co-parenting, co-directing with our Steves. And um, it's really uh, been a, a meaningful journey to be shaping um, young children, young adults, and our own families together. That's great. I Thank should have mentioned you. my husband. Yes, he directs the camp. <laughs> Whoops. When you mentioned, I'm like, oh, I didn't say anything. He actually does all the work now so that I can write books. That's great. Oh, well, thank you both for being here. Um, I love that the two of you are so close, both professionally and personally. And um, when did that all begin? Can you tell us about the beginnings of your friendship? Well, sure. We were talking about this just this morning because we are both here in Newport Beach at a camp conference uh, for the directors of independent private camps. And in 1995, uh, Audrey and her husband were here for the same conference. And at the time, my parents were running the camp that I now operate. And my dad had called and said, Sarah, you have to come to the closing dinner because there is a couple I want you to meet. And he introduced us in 1995. Um, 
it wasn't until three years later that my husband and I bought the camp from my folks and started uh, running that. And we had no idea that um, both of us would be running, in some ways, similar camps, but complementary camps, and that we would grow to be such close friends. And frankly, we are better at what we do because we've got to do this in tandem. Since then, oh my gosh, we have... Um, vacation together. In fact, this Christmas we'll be taking my crew and her crew uh, on another surf uh, trip for Christmas. And it's really been a gift to both of our lives. That's great. great. Yes, it's been amazing. Um, Basically, you know how your life is kind of unique, whether, you know, your career and your family and everything. And to find someone else or a whole family who get it, is really amazing. Even for our kids, um, growing up as kids of a camp director is not um, the Mecca or whatever. That, <laughs> like, you know, other kids will say to our kids, wow, that's so cool. You get to spend your whole summer at camp. And there are amazing benefits for our children. They have a lot of great role models. But um, there's moving every summer mm-hmm. from your main home to our camps because both of them are quite far away. And, um, you know, there's some things that our kids can't do that other kids do. And so it's been really nice, just not just for us as couples, for us, Sarah and I have become very close. Our husbands can really relate. Um, As you've probably observed, Sarah and I are are similar. Mm -hmm. We almost can like finish each other's sentences. So our husbands (laughs) kind of joke. And our kids, actually, Sarah was with my daughter in Boulder because two of our, or I have two kids at Boulder and she has her oldest son and she hung out with my daughter, Charlotte. And afterwards, Charlotte said to me, gosh, it's just like being with you, mom. Oh, that's <laughs> and great. I said, oh, I'm so thankful for that. If something happened to me, you know, just call Sarah. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. Also, um, you know, we share a similar faith. And right now we're also sharing the, um, the sweet, bittersweet um, adventure of uh, supporting ailing parents. Mm-hmm. And we're we're like scary lined up with that as well. So finding our way there, we're getting to kind of encourage each other and share resources and lean on each other. So who knew? It's a good thing. It's great. Let's have a great connection. Um, so how how did you become camp director, Audrey? I, I you talked about that a little bit in your book. Um, how what what was that like? <laughs> Deciding to become a camp director. Um, I don't even think I decided. It just happened. It's just so funny. Um, I think so many times in life, you know, you think, oh, what are you going to be when you grow up or whatever? This was not on my radar at all. I didn't I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know it was a job. Uh, it really just happened that I, I went back to the camp that I'd only attended once as a child in 1986 as a counselor. Mm-hmm. I was uh, teaching water skiing. Oh, and something that I had learned here in Newport, learning how to drive my little Boston whaler. I used to take my friends out on the ocean. Oh, that's and cool. yeah, that's so, impressive. Water skiing in the ocean. That's... Yes, and this the other weird part about this story, or or I guess it's very exemplary of like the era we're in now. When I was eleven years old, I took my friends out on the boat on the ocean water skiing without an adult. Yeah. I was going like, to say, can you imagine? <laughs> prefacing 11 years old. Oh, <laughs> yes. my gosh. That'd be like my daughter's right now taking, pulling someone yeah. water skiing. <laughs> and I was very responsible. And the only reason I was allowed is my dad had trained me how to work the boat, how to drive the boat. We had all our life jackets. I mean, I was I was a conscientious kid. So I, I was able to do it. Um, but it's just kind of crazy to think about. But anyway, because of that background, that was my first job at camp was as a boat driver, water skiing instructor. And I was 19 years old. 
And what I what struck me when I got there, and I think is what um, is still resonates with our campers and our staff is you just it's like feels like coming home hmm. for a lot of people. It's this community. It's a family. It's um, a whole lifestyle and a way of living that is so unlike the rest of the world. And after I was on that treadmill, I went to a college preparatory boarding school. Mm. I was at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And I got to camp, and I was just like, Mm. this is it. Like, I'm so tired of the whatever, the hamster wheel of achievement and all this stuff. Loved that summer so much. And even that very first summer, I was thinking, I wonder if I could just do this as my job. Mm -hmm. And it was just very fortuitous. Um, the the founder of the camp had passed away the December before my first summer working there. So I do think that there's just like a divine providence in all this, just the way life works. You know, you really can't plan things, but it was just meant to be that I showed up that particular summer because that was the time when his widow was starting to consider selling the camp. Mm. She wasn't really ready yet, but she was in her 70s. And so throughout my college years, as I worked at camp, the camp was always for sale. And there were people coming through, looking at the camp, deciding if they want to buy it. And all of us counselors, we'd be like, oh, I wonder if they're going to buy it. I wonder who's going to buy it. You know, will it be the same? And oh, those East Coast people are going to put in tennis courts. And like we were like, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of chatter. And um, and really, again, um, my final summer after my senior year of college, I was like, oh, I really have to go out and do something for real now. Um, I worked there. I knew it was my last time there. Um, it was apparently sold to a couple from the East Coast and camp ended. And I was like, oh, that was so fun. I loved camp. Oh, yeah, I'm going to miss it. Went back to Northern California, started teaching. I had my emergency credential. So I started teaching um, middle school. I got a long-term substitute job and worked there for the fall and was planning on starting a an actual credential program in January. And the day after Christmas in 1988, Jeannie, the elderly widow, called and said that the sale had fallen through. And would I be interested? I had a partner who was older than me. He was like 40, and he had been the assistant director. And she knew we had been interested. So um, so anyway, I, I really had to think about it because I'm the kind of person that I had moved on. I had thought, you know what? My mom was right. That was way too big of a responsibility. You know, my mom thought it would ruin my life to mm. buy this camp because I didn't, you know, I wasn't married. And, like, what was that going to mean for, like, everything else? And um, so I had to kind of think about it for, like, a day. And then I was like. <laughs> 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 and then um, – and then it was it was like kind of a done deal. Um, it's a it's a weird, complicated thing because our camp we don't own our land. Okay. So the camp was actually not worth that much mm. at the time. It was uh, not a very um, financially. It wasn't very successful. There was a lot of deferred maintenance. Mm. So um, so it actually wasn't as big of a purchase as one might think. So I actually went to a bank. I had a business plan. It was like this whole thing. And anyway, um, so then I worked side by side with Jeannie for the first months of 1989. And then on March 2nd, we closed escrow and she left. And there I was like owning this business. And then it was about five years of just real difficulty because changing a culture, buying a business, learning about workers' comp. I mean, it was, you know. Um, but now I look back and, boy, it was, it's was it been such a great journey. Oh, the big picture journey has been great. Um, by about 10 years in, I was like, oh, my gosh, we have our team. We have our thing going. So 
by like 2000, I was like, oh, I love this place. And I was back to kind of, it was as fun as it used to be, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But it was not easy. I bet. That's what an what a exciting journey though. And how old were you when you um well when we closed escrow I was twenty two. Wow. Oh my gosh, and you bought a camp <laughs> at twenty two years old. That's unreal. Okay. So I, I'm I'm curious. <laughs> what life skills did you learn yeah. at camp <laughs> to be at twenty two years old signing Absolutely. papers to buy a camp? I think those were um well the responsibility piece and sort of um my, I think just growing up in my family, my dad's a business guy. Mm-hmm. So he was all about, like, he didn't say to me when I said, I want to buy this camp. He didn't say, no way, that's a terrible idea. He said, write a business plan. It has to have the budget. It has to have your staffing plan. It has to have your marketing plan. You need to have that all ready to go when you go to meet with the bankers. And so he guided me, like, he, you know, read my rough draft and that kind of thing. So I think it was my dad and, like, him helping me with that. But also, I'm, I've got grit. I mean, yeah. you know, I think I still do in the way I do things. Like, if I get an idea, I can be, you know, really fixated on it. Yeah. And I'll keep working at it. And so I think it's probably those qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also just kind of a big dreamer and maybe overly optimistic at times, <laughs> which I often say to people, if it was me now, I don't think I would ever buy a camp. Like at this age with a family and responsibilities. But when you have absolutely zero responsibilities, zero like assets to lose or anything else, it was pretty, I don't know. It was just, it's funny to think about how the timing was kind of important Mm -hmm. because being the person I am now, I would be much more tentative about doing such a crazy thing. Mm Mm-hmm. How about for you, Sarah? What was your journey to becoming a camp director? Oh, my, here, our stories diverge a little bit. We have less in common in how we got there. Um, but basically, I was raised in a camp family. My my uh, parents uh, worked at a large conference center called Forest Home, where oh, wow. I was born until um, I was about 10, and then retired from there, sold our house, and bought this little beat-up retreat center in Bass Lake and started a long residence, much smaller program, similar to maybe an East Coast style, similar to Gold Arrow in many ways, um, Audrey's Camp, um, to start their own program. And so I was 10, 11, and um, for the next, well, all my years, uh, we spent summers and they developed that program. So I've always been a camp kid, a staff brat. And um, that is a, a family commitment, as Audrey was talking about. It's a whole culture. It's leaving where you live in the summertime and diving into a staff family of amazing young adults. And our, we were talking about our first jobs this morning. I was 12 doing laundry for the camp and, you know, always working. Um, just I am wired for communities like that. So it was a great ride shaped me in a thousand ways. Not every child would have the temperament for that. And mm-hmm. we've seen that in, with my own siblings and in my own family, too. Um, but definitely camp was always uh, my favorite space in the world. Mm. Um, my parents were brilliant to make sure that we didn't just go to our own camp, though. They mm. made sure that we knew good things happen in different ways in different places. Mm. And so I attended lots of other camps as well. And um, so that has shaped me a lot. Um, I, uh, however, had two careers before I found my way to camping. I um, went to college, majored in nutrition, thought that would be my path. I moved to Washington, D.C. and did 
corporate PR for seven, six years, um, then moved back to California, and I had the privilege of being the managing director of a nonprofit in Santa Ana with just amazing children. So that pulled me back into youth development, and um, in there, I got married, and after we were married for about five years, um, I was pregnant with our first child, and um, right now my kids are 16 to 22, and um my, it was my husband who uh, really was doing, um, he's an engineer, but he was doing a lot of sales and travel to Asia. And this is before the internet. So when you went to Asia for work for two or three weeks, you were really gone. <laughs> and um, we're having our first kiddo and we're trying to figure out how we're going to pull that off. And he was the one who came to me and said, what if we quit our careers and bought your parents' camp. And my parents were in the space. They were, um, it was up for sale. They were ready to retire from a wonderful program that they had built, but just, it was time. And I said, Steve, you have no idea what you're talking about. It is such hard work. The liability, the the hit a family takes, um, we'll make less than half of what we make. You know, you just don't know what you're talking about. That's a, that's a hard road, meaningful road, but a hard road. And the next week, my son was born, and after about two months, I went back to work, and it was right around that time. I'm like, oh, shoot, he's right. Uh, we're supposed to run the camp. Mm-hmm. And so I came home one day from work, had a good cry, and uh, said, I think I think we're supposed to do that. So we um, went to my folks and said, hey, we found a couple who we think might be interested in mm-hmm. buying the camp. And... Um, they were thrilled, and so were my siblings, uh, to hear that it, we wanted to take a swing at it. My parents were wonderful in letting us work for them for two years uh, without you know, really diving in for the sale, um, just to make sure we could do it, we were wired for it. Um, so our first summer, we started June 1. Hadn't, we hadn't hired the staff. There was um, a bit of deferred maintenance, among other things, and I had a five-month-old. Hmm. So, you know, staff meetings while nursing and the whole <laughs> wow. shebang. It was uh, those first three years were really, really challenging, kind of reestablishing our program uh, to its core, its, its original call and original mission. Hmm. Um, after about three years, uh, well, actually after two years, we, Steve and I assessed it and we went, yeah, you know, we are really are called to this. So we went for it and then bought the program. So that was um, 23 years ago. And I can tell how long I've been a camp director because that's how old my oldest son is. Wow. You know, <clears throat> both of you have been in the field of camp director then for at least 20 years mm-hmm. plus. Do you see any differences in children from 20 years ago to now? Oh, my, my, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, gosh, you know, uh, 20 years ago, um, we had a little more free range in our childhood. Um, our hyper parenting these years has changed the landscape tremendously in some really cool ways. And then uh, I would. What dare are some to of say, the cool ways then, Sarah? Just um, they, there's some really sweet attentiveness about parents, you know, seeing their kids, uh, finding maybe new opportunities in which they can grow. Um, uh, parents uh, listening more, um, some more family time in some ways. Um, dads are a little more involved mm-hmm. than 20 years ago to mm-hmm. a great extent. I think those relationships are really important. Um, but I w- would say in the balance um, that our hyper-parenting has really uh, 
negatively impacted our kids. You guys, I, I yeah. listen to your podcast. I know you yeah. know what I'm yeah. talking about. So, but Absolutely. what are you referring to when you say hyperparenting? Um, the um, we are per. And, my dad used to say, our job as parents should be to open the world up to our children. But now we are um, kind of protecting our children from the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember hearing that at 10, 11, 12 years old and not really understanding, but now I understand. So as we, um, you know, snowplow any hiccup in their road, our kids are not developing the skills uh, of resilience and problem solving that we once did when we had to figure out what to say to the teacher when we got the D. Hmm, mm-hmm. That's on me. Or, wow, I had a, a miscommunication or an argument with a friend, and my mom's not going to step in. That's for me to work out with her. Right. Or, oh, I cheated in that game, and now I don't get to play. I just learned a really important life lesson. I'm not going to cheat anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things, um, we, I feel like we're, we're telling kids uh, that they're not as capable as they are. They're developing their life skills so much later. And then, in addition, we're putting expectations for achievement on them so weighty and yeah. so young. Um, at, you know, it's a little terrifying to be 12 now because I'm supposed to be, you know, finding the cure for cancer already. Um, <laughs> also, I think missing that um, uh, self-directed play. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, and I think yep. that's one of the gifts of summer camp now mm-hmm. is for kids to create their space, build their fort, um, you know, not have all the rules set out and two coaches yelling at them to play. Um, I, uh, I miss some of those things. And I think both Audrey and I have built, uh, have appreciated being able to build that into a camp experience, mm-hmm. you know, what we grew up with. Mm. Yeah. The part that I, um, that has really struck me, and I think I wrote about this in the book a lot, is it's, I mean, kids have always loved camp. You know what I mean? Like, it's fun to go to camp. And, I mean, some kids don't, but, you know, most people like, oh, I love going to camp. And I feel like camp used to be just, like, a fun thing. Oh, yeah, you know, I had made some friends there. It was great. Now, in our community, I have so many kids and staff who tell me it's the only place where they feel they can be themselves. Uh-huh. And I that has really struck me of what have we done that – kids are feeling in other places, whether that's home or school, mm-hmm. that they can't be themselves. Mm. And so I think there's just this rush, this overwhelm in life that we're, you know, we're putting on our kids to the point that um, we rarely step back and just say, okay, so what do I enjoy doing? And what do I like? And who am I? And, you know, who are those really good friends that I want to spend more time with? These questions that as adults we often don't ask, and so then we're not modeling it for our kids. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, um, I really come from the perspective of, like, well-being. Mm-hmm. I think the well-being of children is going down. Mm-hmm. You know, the youth, and, and statistically it is, too. You know, just the rise in anxiety and suicide and all these terrible things. And I think it comes back to what are, you know, the opposite end of the thing. What What do we need to do to flourish? Right. Yes. What do we need to be doing more of? And now camp is this, this like beautiful place that's very unique, unfortunately. I mean, I love that camp, I, and this is what I say in the book, I love that we can provide kids with this experience. But when we're putting them on those buses and they are sobbing, hmm. like sobbing to say goodbye to their friends and their counselors because they feel like they've been cared about so deeply. Hmm. They feel like people have really seen them 
and valued them for who they are, even if they're not a superstar athlete or student. You know, um, those are just, those are amazing things, but I do think it needs to, um, we need to step back as parents and just in our, in our culture and just say, wait, okay, so what is it that has made it that kids need to go away mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to get that feeling when I, you know, they need to feel it every day, not just for a couple weeks in the summer. They yeah. need to, they need to feel like, gosh, that person, it doesn't matter if they are bad at math. or they're not they didn't make the team or whatever it doesn't matter they are loved and appreciated and they belong just because of the awesome person they are so I think that would be my my takeaway at least from my own camp is it used to be fun kids would kind of come back now kids I mean it is like crazy the number of returning campers like how it's changed over the years and and I know that's partially because of the program we've developed but it's also because for many of these kids it is their place mm-hmm. they use the words home and family and belonging and be myself all the time talking about camp same as at your camp absolutely it it is so consistent it's mm-hmm. remarkable And I think that um, because we do so much for our kids now, um, they they really do have a a sense that I I don't know if I can do it. And so to give them adventure and challenge and allow them to make a new friend on their own for the first time or shoot a bow and arrow for the first time or see stars um, without having to take a test on it, um, like they really, oh my goodness, how they open up and how they see themselves and see other people. I was talking to a camp mom on Sunday and um, she I, she said, my favorite thing about my child when she comes home from camp is she so easily does her chores. And we laughed <laughs> about that. And I said, well, what do you think that means? And this mom said, I think she realizes that she's a contributor And I think at home I've been doing too much. And, you know, at camp, we all, we all, we all clean the cabin. We all set the tables. We are all a meaningful part. We all sing. We all. And, um, yes, kids say, I belong here. I'm my best self here. I wish I could stay all year. There's something really, um, well, it's just a privilege to create those spaces for kids. And, sorry, going back to what Sarah first said. One of the changes I've seen, and I think you have as well, is so 30 years ago, if a kid was homesick, which that happens at camp, mm-hmm. it happens at every camp, it it's happens for to. most kids, um, the kid would write a letter home, the parent would get the letter, uh, usually they'd be on a vacation, mm-hmm. there would never be a thought in the parent's mind that I'm going to go rescue my child mm. right. from the normal emotional pain of separation, um, you know, that happens for everyone. And now um, we, you know, we have to provide a lot of education to our parents and explain to them this could happen. We provide it to the kids as well because um, we now have seen parents who don't allow their child to go through that. And my perspective is, is you really, if you're going to be unable to let them go through that emotional pain of the separation, you should not sign them up for camp Mm -hmm. because having the child come home early or picking them up, now you have said to your child, you can't do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the thing your child will remember far more than being homesick for a week or two at camp. Right. Yeah. But parents, like we, we teach parents this, but we still, even with all our education, we have a couple kids every summer that 
the parents are like, oh, it's just too much for them. I don't want them to be, I don't want them to be uncomfortable. And I'm like, that is, that's how you grow. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's the other change is having to kind of really educate parents about just this is normal mm-hmm. and helping the parents realize that just because your child's homesick on the first, you know, four or five days of camp, they're going to feel great after two weeks. Even if they still feel some homesick, they're going to, they're going to feel accomplishment. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the other thing that has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. 30 years ago, I would never be worrying about a parent picking their child up because Mm-mm. they're being homesick. Right. Now we have to, we spend a lot of time. Yeah. Co- yeah. Taking care of our parents. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you guys had mentioned the theme belonging that you both create belonging at camp, and the kids are really internalizing that. How can we do more of that Mm. in our own homes? What are you guys doing at camp that we can apply? Yeah. Want me to start? Um, Well, if you think about it, what helps each of us feel like we belong? Um, People know my name. People ask about me and listen to my thoughts and opinions. Um, I have a voice. I um, um, I missed when I'm not there. Someone saved a seat for me. Um, there's always a, a part I will play. Um, I there are just these little pieces that we can deliberately weave into, especially the first three days of camp. We're really intentional about everyone learning everybody's name. Always a seat at the table for you. We we eat at round tables so that no one's on the end. Um, we eat family style, so we serve each other. We um, tuck in at night um, so everybody's thoughts are heard. How was your day? What was the highlight? What surprised you? How can I support you in a challenge? Oh, I feel that. I understand. You're normal. You're, it's normal to feel that way. Let's try again tomorrow. There's that sense of being seen and heard and that my ideas, I love when a child's ideas get um, put into action. Let's do that skit. That was great. Oh, that's a good way to problem solve and build that in a different way. It's your turn to be in the front of the hike. Um, I feel like now I am making an important contribution. And then also, and I know uh, Audrey's camp is the same, the place is flooded with opportunities for affirmation Mm -hmm. and gratitude. Thank you for being my first friend. Thank you for saving a seat for me. Hey, I'm really sorry I borrowed your shoes without asking. You were really kind to forgive me so much. Um, Thank you for singing my song. Um, And so those pieces of feeling like, I'm seen, I'm known, I'm a valuable contributor. Sometimes in families, all of us parents, we mean to be doing that for our kids. Mm-hmm. But we're running so fast and we're providing so much direction. And then I think we grade everything. And those three things, if we didn't run so fast, if we, di- if we didn't always provide the answers, mm-hmm. and if everything, the stakes weren't so high... You know, how fun to say, okay, kids, here's some ingredients. You make dinner. We're going to make, we're going to eat whatever you make, and it's going to be awesome. Hmm. What if we did that? Mm-hmm. I think you always say, and I agree, I think we just slow down mm-hmm. at camp, and I think that's something that parents can, families can take home. Everything is slower. Um, we unplug. Yes. Which yes. is super important because we, it, after a couple of days, it's quite remarkable, but um you get very used to not having the distraction. So I'm trying this month, actually, I'm doing no social media for this month. 
And it's so interesting because I find myself like, oh, reaching to my phone and thinking I'm going to do it. And it's like I've been a conscious kind of mindful reminder of, you know, that I don't I don't want to be doing that right now. But at camp and at home, I think we just need more intentional, slow times, even if it's just five minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, even if I mean, I think people, you know, get overwhelmed, like, no, you're probably not going to have a two hour campfire. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) if you can have a meal together or a dessert late in the evening after sports practices together where you get that opportunity to just look each other in the eye. Hey, what was what was fun about your day? What's going on with you? You know, tell me about tell me a funny story from today or um I think we we it's pretty simple. I don't think it's that hard what we do at camp. I mean, we train 19 and 20-year-olds to create this like amazing experience and basically they're paying attention, they're looking kids in the eye, they're using their name. They're going where the child is and asking about their interests. Mm -hmm. They're being observant. Mm -hmm. All things that we can do at home, too. And I think, you know, as parents, there's a lot more, gosh, we, I think we put a lot of weight on, oh my gosh, my kid's like not doing very well at school or, Mm -hmm. ooh, that was not very good at that game. They let that soccer ball go by. And you're, we are weirdly, um, overly uh, identified. Mm-hmm. with our child and their achievements or lack thereof to the point that we can undermine the great things about them. Like mm-hmm. instead of, I think if you can step back, and that's one of the exercises we like to do is just step back and say, what do I love about this kid? Like even rephrasing, you know, impulsive kids who tend to be not as successful at school. Um, if you rephrase, wow, super high energy. And boy, do they bring some fun to our family, mm-hmm. you know, so they may not be the studious get down to work, but it's pretty darn fun having those kids who just like on the vacation are the ones like leading us in wacky games and stuff. So I think it's just that whole thing. That's what our counselors are doing. They're looking for the nuggets of mm-hmm. specialness. Mm-hmm. And I I wish if all the parents did that, the world would be so much better. Oh my gosh. Yes. Absolutely. Don't you think? Yes. So, yeah. so, Sarah, I know that that's, that's something that you do. You're a strengths coach. And um, when I attended uh, your, yours and Audrey's workshop, I that was such a great bit of information and a great exercise to go home and think about each special quality that my kids had and how I could celebrate that. And I would love to, to hear more about how you find what that special attribute is. Um, well, I it, it has been a, a blast to find a tool that really supports kind of this yearning that um, that I've always had that, you know, can we see each human being? And, and that goes for your spouse and your friends and your coworkers, too. Um, you know, what is their secret sauce? What's their special contribution? Um, I was fortunate to be able to get certified as a Gallup Strengths Coach, and we use the tool of Strengths finders. Um, it's for adults typically, um, and often in the workplace, but it's absolutely applicable to home and and family too. Um, or what are our naturally occurring talents? And if we lean into those and really invest and develop those, they become strengths we can draw on at any moment um, to achieve goals, to tackle challenges, to create better spaces. Um, But you don't need a a formal tool. And we did that at the parenting Mm -hmm. workshop. Consider each of your children. What 
Um, in what ways do they shine? Where do they lose themselves? Is it building something out of Legos? Is it making a random new friend at the park? Is it snuggling up and telling you a story? Is it, um, I had a child who had a, um, one of my kids had a imaginary friend and he often would wrap up some random thing in the house in a, in a gift with a bow and say it was for his imaginary friend. Well, gift giving is this child's jam. Okay. And, um, still is he's 19. And, um, so as we reflect on who our kids are, not who we think they're supposed to be in order to be successful, who they're supposed to be in order to make us look good, like mm-hmm. we can take ourselves out of the mm-hmm. equation and really help them engage in who they are. And then, um, you know, not totally ignore some of the weaker and deficit spaces, but help them know who to partner then with. I have a, uh, one of my kids uh, isn't as strong of a student as uh, he would like to be, but he found, because he's so relational, that if he studies in study groups, his learning goes through the roof. Mm -hmm. And so now he knows that. And when it's time for finals week, every class is a study group. Um, What a lovely way to solve that rather than just beating him up for not being as you know, easy of a studier. Um, Mm -hmm. Yet what he does bring, he brings color and life and love and connection and, um, you know, putting him in the middle of a group that's not really, um, you know, kind of connecting well, he will take care of that in about 20 seconds. So um, it is a gift. And, you know, so naming the gifts, helping the kids name the gifts, celebrating, taking time to slow down and celebrate the gifts Mm -hmm. and then helping them partner Um, It is a tremendous gift parents can give their kids because we are all, and we hear it at camp all the time, at home I don't feel like enough. At home I'm um, I'm not good enough. I don't achieve enough. I'm not perfect enough. Especially in our young ladies. Mm -hmm. Um, The girls are coming in at 12 and 13 already feeling less than. Um, We got to do something about that. I feel very urgent about that. But if they can go home or if we can in our homes say, wow, no one is an includer like you. Mm -hmm. You include like crazy. I want to learn from you, oh, daughter of mine. Or, um, wow, I love how you think so far ahead. I love that you're always like five years ahead in your thoughts. That's going to really serve you well. In fact, help us with our some of our family you know, planning projects. What do you think in five years we might want to do to the house or go out where we might go on vacation? To honor a 14-year-old with Mm -hmm. that question? Yeah. Wow. And so um, those are just some examples of ways that we can help, you know, kids really like engage with who they are and be content with who they are and be confident in who they are. And it also helps us reframe because sometimes as parents, I'm still going to get impatient and frustrated when my child isn't all that in a bag of chips, you know. But um, that's on me and I need to address that too and and realize that comes from a a place of uh, fear and and I need to address my own fears around that. Mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate what you're saying right now because I think so many parents hone in on trying to help raise kids that are really exceptional. Yeah. At something all the time. And then we really lose sight of all these amazing, just unique gifts that each of us can have because we're measuring ourselves with a certain expectation of always having to be the best. Right. But I think what happens as a result is if kids feel like they're not capable of achieving that, mm-hmm. then they start to display more inadequacy and they feel less than. Right. right. And so 
I think one of my takeaways from our time right now is the fact that we really have to hone in on the very specific encouragements that we can give our children to really help them flourish and mm-hmm. build build into them a knowledge base of their own uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Affirming that is so important. Yeah. And I, a super simple way to do that, just so, like I have to yeah. say, but just write a sticky note and stick it on their mirror. Yes, I read I, that in your I book. Love I your love your sticky that. note. Even say, like, I <laughs> yes. love your sense of humor. Yeah. You made me laugh so much telling that story yesterday. That can go such a long way. Mm-hmm. Just pointing out something that you notice. Oh, my gosh. I just, it's it's magical. Just like when you receive something like that. You're like, oh, my gosh, so great. Also, I think, I mean, as I, I feel like as women, we also don't often don't feel enough, right, mm-hmm. and compare and think, well, you know, gosh, you know, my meal isn't as gourmet or my house doesn't look as good or my kid isn't as good, whatever. And even that, I think even in ourselves articulating to our kids, like, right. you know what I found out? I really I'm really good at organizing and I really like doing this part and I'm really not very good at this. So I'm going to try to find some help. Mm-hmm. Like even just talking through things at work or mm-hmm. things that you decide to get help with, I think is really valuable for our kids because they often think of adults as like, oh, they know how to do everything. Right. And so I think if we can say to them, so pulling the curtain back from Oz and saying, hey, you know what? I actually am not that good at this part. So I've had someone help me. Yeah. And I think it's great that we actually deflate that expectation yes. of having to be great at everything because that's part of knowing yourself that sometimes right. you're going to have certain skills that are really good and others that are not so good. Right. And that's okay. And that's okay. That makes you normal and a human being in yes. the world. And if we didn't, uh, if we weren't designed that way, none of us would need each other. Right. Mm-hmm. And fact of the matter is human beings thrive because we have each other and because we are interconnected and interdependent. And if we are raising up all these little lone wolves, mm-hmm. Um, we're in a we're kind of heading in a dangerous direction, mm-hmm. but I think one thing that we as parents can give our kids is the confidence and joy in partnering. This is why we need each other. This is yeah. you know why I need other voices in our life. We're gonna you know go ask wisdom or from these folks, and otherwise we have a lot of very discontent, anxious lone wolves, and in the long run, you know that's not uh, it's not going to get us where we need to be. Yeah. Well said. I agree. Um, Yeah. Well, so for just some takeaways uh, from this amazing conversation, what, how can we create a camp-like environment at home, you know, on an everyday basis? Um, Any words of wisdom? I think my go-to one, well, two, would be, first of all, the the affirmation piece that Sarah t- has taught me a lot about, but just really like that strength thing. What What's something you can just mention? Mm-hmm. I noticed that you helped your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, just showing them that you're seeing these character traits. And then the other thing is daily family sharing of mm-hmm. some kind. Or if you can't do the whole family, just one-on-one with your child, but just something that you know that at dinner every night or at bedtime every day... Someone's going to ask. What's know, the highlight? What's the low light? It I can love be that. Anything. The rose or thorn. Yep. <laughs> it can be all those things or three good things from uh-huh. your day. To te- it can be whatever you decide. But something that every child, even your quietest one, knows, hey, I'm going to be checked in on, you know, today or this evening. And someone's going to care mm-hmm. what I what's going on with me. So I think that is something so simple. And that's very camp-ish. At our meals, at our campfires, we, we share we make sure everyone has a chance to speak, not just the loud kids. Mm-hmm. It's a, a 
that it has to be organized and it feels awkward at first as a parent. You know, you're sitting at the dinner table the first time you do it. You're like, okay, we're going to try something new. Let's all just, I'm going to start, but we're going to share like something, you know, the high of our day or something that was hard today. And then we're all going to share. We're going to start doing this. And people will be like, and the kids will, you know, some of them will say like, oh, recess. And that'll be the end of their thing. It's like, okay, you just let them share whatever. But I, I think that daily sharing, we do so much sharing and communicating at camp. And even if your family just starts doing a little bit of that, I, I think that goes a long way. That's I, I agree. I agree. Um, I think um, that reminded me, uh, we spent uh, Christmas vacation, my family, with Audrey's family last Christmas. And there's 13 of us, right, at this. Uh, <laughs> it's fun- your own camp. It, it basically right. was. At it this really was. Funky little dirt road, little uh, surf uh, village. And um, we still made all the, the whole group at the end of the day do highs and lows. And um, they were like, Mom, you camp directors. But you know what? Some of our funniest laughs and some of our sweetest moments came from that. So that was really great. Well, you better tell them it's, it wasn't just highs and lows. This oh, is when did. two camp director families go on a trip together. <laughs> tell, tell we, did, we did highs and lows, woes and bros. Oh. So high is high, low is low. Easy. Um, a woe is something that was awesome or a surprise. Whoa. And a bro is an affirmation to someone like, oh. whoa, bro, you helped me with this. Thanks for getting up early to go surfing me. Thanks for helping me with this. Anyway, so the woe was an aha or an awe. And um, the bro is an affirmation to someone in That's the circle. Great. I yeah. love that. So. I want to go on vacation with you guys. <laughs> That's great. That could be our I next love all thing. the warm fuzzies. That's, yeah. That's family, right. Family, family camp. <laughs> I I think um, another uh, just uh, a simple way um, of uh, building, you know, bringing camp home to is the contribution piece. Mm. Um, I just can't underestimate the um, the belongingness, the connectedness, the I matterness Mm -hmm. that comes from even a little person making their own bed helping set the table, um, helping decorate. Um, We when the my sons come home from college. We, we do a new welcome home banner uh, just out of a flip chart piece of paper to put on their door. But that's Sasha's job, man, you know, and she has a theme every time. And um, But we all, you know, contributing even in tiny ways to the daily flow of life and then being grateful to them for that is really huge. And um, we're in kind of a culture where so many kids don't do chores anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we just, we got to know that our part matters. And if I'm not there doing it, um, I'm noticed. Mm-hmm. So I think that affirmation and contribution are pretty huge. Well, Sarah Coolia, thank you so much for being on Mainspring Family Wellness today. And could you share the names of your camps with us? Sure. We have Yosemite Sierra Summer Camp in Bass Lake, California, and Emerald Cove Day Camp in San Juan Capistrano. Great. And Audrey Monkey, thank you again for being with us today as well. And could you share the name of your camp as well as the name of your book? Yes, my camp is Gold Arrow Camp on Huntington Lake in the Central Sierras. And my book is called Happy Campers, Nine Summer Camp Secrets for Raising Kids Who Become Thriving Adults. Um, And everything, all the information about my book, um, as well as my podcast, which is called Sunshine Parenting, is available on my website at sunshine-parenting.com. And we want to thank Dan Ballard of Gold Pacific Studios once again for hosting us here. Thank you, Dan. Always love to be here. It's always a privilege. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon.